Hi, this is Mythica, and you are listening to Catholic versus Other. If you would, please just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you believe, and how you came to believe it. Okay. My name is Mythica, and um, actually, if anyone out there has Netflix, you can actually watch me. I'm on the TV show Skin Wars, which is the first body painting reality competition show, and it's on Netflix. And it's pretty easy to find, go look up, that kind of thing. And I uh, was born and raised Catholic, Irish Catholic. Uh, grew up in Virginia, was the youngest Eucharistic minister in my family and in my church. I was thinking I was going to be a nun when I grew up because of my relationship with the divine kind of thing. Um, I went to a church called Epiphany, which was at the time in the 80s a sort of a more progressive Catholic church. And I also have had three near-death experiences. Um, my mother said that happened to me once as a baby, and the second time was when I was in the second grade. I had a, a fever between 106 and 108, and I had double pneumonia and bronchitis, and I was in um, St. Mary's Hospital, which is in Richmond, Virginia. And I've actually had two near-death experiences in the same Catholic hospital twice. I'm a documented medical miracle twice in the same hospital, on the same ward, on the same floor. I keep joking, I just need one more miracle to have my three miracle minimum to sainthood. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk just a little bit more about your childhood, like the very early days where you sort of start to be able to think for yourself, maybe six, seven, eight years old, and some of the influences around you, like some of the people that you remember that had an aura of religion about them, a godliness or saintliness or some sort of aura of religion. If you could just touch on some of those memories for me, please. Yeah, well, actually, I was very conscious from an extremely early age. Um, my earliest memories are right before my second birthday. And one of the things that uh, I remember is when we were at church, and basically, instead of going to confession, it's an absolution mass. Everyone filed out of the pews, and uh, the priest was in the center aisle, and and he puts his hands on you and he says, I absolve you of all your sins, both the ones that you confess and the ones that you don't know. <laughs> and uh, I remember that quite distinctly because um, I actually felt tingling in the energy on me. And after we left the island stuff, I'm like, Mom, he actually did something. I felt it like he actually did something. And then also, you know, I went to Sunday school, just like all the other kids. And I remember that we had a book, and you had different exercises and things to draw and do. And on one of the pages, it was like, draw your picture of God. So I drew a picture of an old man in a white beard, in a light blue robe with knobby knees, sitting on a gold throne in clouds. And that was my picture of God. 
And so shortly afterwards is when I had my second near-death experience and I was in the second grade. And I went to what my child's mind, because you know, you don't have the words, you don't have the vocabulary for things at that age. I was like six, seven years old. And when I was in the hospital, I was in a coma for a week. And during that time, I went to what I call the in-between place. Because that's what just my child's mind defined it as. And I still call it that to this day. And while I was there, there's this huge ball of light. And I called it the heart of the in-between place because it was unconditional love. Like, even now when I say it, the words are idiotic coming out of my mouth because we can say words like unconditional love, but nobody here really has any idea what that is. But that's what the heart of the in-between place is. And years and years later, I ended up seeing all these near-death experiences like Dan and Brinkley and Saved by the Light and a few of these other people who actually started recounting their near-death experiences. And also there's a, there's a physician who started interviewing children who had near-death experiences and he found that their experiences were, um, no matter which culture he went to, no matter what part of the country, that there were similarities. And I'm like, oh my god, that's what happened to me. But at the time, I had no idea that it was a near-death experience. It wasn't until later, and I read what other happened to other people, and I'm like, oh yeah, well that happened to me, kind of thing. So it was only in retrospect that I realized what happened. And who did you reach out to in terms of real-life human beings on this planet that could relate to what you had gone through, or that could relate to spirituality? that could guide you or help you or teach you to pray or teach you to worship God? Was there any resource that you had around you in the family or friends or even a priest or somebody? Uh, no, things were very different for me. I would be in church and I would have a, a vision. Like when we would stand together in church and like hold hands and do the, um, the Our Father together, I could actually feel the direction of the energy that it flowed through us. I could feel everyone in the room. I could feel individual people. And then um, several different times, one was a Feast of Mary. We had a, a permanent font of water for baptism. And one time I saw a blue-white column of light coming out of it, and I saw Mary floating on the inside of it. And then another time, I was in the back of the room, and at Epiphany, the word of the Lord would be read from on the inside of the room. So there was a podium in the center of, of the room instead of up at the dais at the front. So like the first and second readings would be done from up there, but the priest would walk the book through the, everyone because they liked it to represent Jesus being amongst the people. And that's where the word of the Lord would be read. And so one day, the, the priest was doing the reading, and he kissed the pages, and then the vision split. There was this white flame that came up, and 
in reality, everything was happening at normal, and on the other side, there was this vision that was happening where this white flame was coming up. He backed down. The white flame softened to smoke, and like before anyone else in the room knew what was going on, like I knew who who was in the flame. I like knew who was in the smoke, and I knew that it was Jesus. And except for I don't call him that. I always have. I don't know why, but I've always called him Yeshua. So anyway, the the flame and smoke finally solidified until it was until it was Yeshua. And then as he was solidifying, he saw me. And then at one point, he just put his hand out. And then I floated up with him. And then we floated up together to being over in front of the dais and turned towards everyone. And then the vision ended. And so I grew up with these things happening to me and not really having any understanding of what was going on. So a lot of people had a reverence for me and people thought I was going to be a nun and all these kinds of things. And actually, I remember when I was a child thinking, like, I want to be a priest when I grow up. <laughs> and then finding out that women could not be priests in the Catholic Church, and I was very upset about that. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not fair. <laughs> like, you could be an Episcopal. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm Catholic. I'm not an Episcopalian. I'm like, <laughs> that's not the real church. Well, there are women. There are women that ordain each other, and they claim to be Catholic. So you could be one of those dissident Catholics if you wanted to. Yes. Well, I would definitely be in the naughty Catholic category for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you could join Sinead O'Connor. <laughs> yep. So anyway, like I had these experiences and stuff growing up, like I said, and were they all good, or did you have any period in your life, maybe puberty or shortly thereafter, where you strayed from God and you started to indulge in sin, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and this sort of thing? There was a short period of time in middle school where I lied a lot, and I shoplifted and did all this kinds of thing, and. And it was just, it was really not good. But when my mom and mom and dad caught me in it, I remember being sat down and getting the talk. And my mom was like, so when you think of a white sheet of paper and that's your soul and you sin, it's like putting one dot on the paper. She goes, right now your paper is black. So um, you can't have Eucharist right now. That was like the worst punishment ever for me. I think my mom knew me pretty well and to say, to say that I had sinned so much that I can't have Eucharist was like, wow, you are really in trouble. Like, deep. You know? How would you describe your worldview today? Are there any labels that you're comfortable with or are there labels that you're not comfortable with but which people put on you anyway? Well, the first thing I say is that there is no other person in the entire world that has my point of view. Because, like, honestly, I mix Star Wars in with what I believe. I have a black Buddha on my altar and Kuan Yin. And in, in Buddha's lap is baby Jesus. And in front of Kuan Yin is Mary. And in between the two of them is Yoda and my lightsaber. 
<laughs> All you're missing is Bart Simpson <laughs> and SpongeBob. You know, so depending on who I talk to, I say different things. So first of all, I'm an ordained minister in the Church of Universal Light. Can you talk a little bit about the history of that organization? Well, the history of that organization is that essentially they realized that there were lots of people who didn't fit the, only the Christian categories of being an ordained minister. So they created the basic precepts for the uh, Church of um, Universal Light is that you believe in the basic goodness of people, that you believe that the divine exists by whatever name and means it is, and that you accept all people. So it's loose enough that a lot of different people from different traditions can become ordained in it without compromising whatever their religious belief is that may not be accepted by the mainstream. So depending on who I'm talking to, I may say that I'm pagan. Pagan being an umbrella term for anything, anything at all, that is not one of the main three, which is uh, Christian, Jewish, or Muslim. So anything that's outside of those three is an umbrella term for paganism. The other, the other umbrella term for paganism is nature-based religions. Um, I have a, a friend of mine whose name is River Higginbotham, who wrote a book called um, Christo-Paganism, on being a Christian witch, essentially. So that's another term that if somebody has enough background and understanding, I would say I'm a Christian witch. Because for me, personally, I didn't leave Catholicism. I just added to it. Now, when I say that I was really into being a Catholic, like I had my own copy of Vatican II. And I actually read it. And I remember getting, I used to know the, the exact page number in Vatican II. I got to this place where the church is talking about other religions. And the line specifically in Vatican II says, We do not deny these things which are holy and true in other religions. And I just stopped. And I went, what? The church actually admits there are other things that are holy and true in other religions? Well, i got to go check this out. And so that's what led me into a journey of researching um, about what other people believed. And like, okay, so what are these other things which are holy and true in other religions? And that's when I met my ex-husband, who was pagan. And he started saying, well, first of all, Easter is actually Ostara. <laughs> he goes, didn't you ever wonder where the bunny rabbit came from and the eggs? <laughs> And he went over, holiday by holiday, what the holidays were and how they were absorbed by the Catholic Church in order to retain membership and, and go through the provinces and, and how that all came about. So then I started to understand why we did what we did, why you use frankincense and myrrh, and why it's important, and how it's used in ritual. And why we put relics in the altar at the front. Those are pagan traditions. And what I came to understand was that the Catholic Mass is, is high magic. 
And I was like, this is amazing. This is mind-blowing. And it's not because it was what he told me. It was an obvious conclusion to come to based on the things that I was learning about paganism and about ritual and why you do things in a rote manner and how it becomes automatic so that everyone can be of the same mind and all these things. And I was like, oh my gosh, this just makes everything make so much more sense. So that's when I started adding to my Catholicism as opposed to abandoning it. There's no danger involved in drawing on pagan truth because pagan truth is God's truth. It's Christian truth. It belongs to us. So my point is that we don't need to reject the truths of Judaism and Islam and uh, or even of Wicca or of Satanism. We don't need to reject the truths. We can embrace them. But we're depriving ourselves of the fullness of religious truth if we're depriving ourselves of Catholic prayer life, Catholic community, and most importantly, the Catholic sacraments. So that's my challenge to you. You think that you're adding to your Catholicism, but I would accuse you of depriving yourself of access to the sacraments and to the prayer life and the community life of the church. So how do you respond to that? I know my beloved. If my beloved were to have left me and the, the miracles that happen as a result of that relationship were to leave me, then I could agree with you. So the proof's in the pudding. You continue to have uh, mystical encounters with God and this sort of thing? Absolutely. Yeah, so I'll give you another one. I was with my husband, and we went to a pagan retreat. Uh, it was a camping retreat. I had had a dream of Yeshua that... He was in the sky, and it was a blue moon, and I fell to my knees so hard that I literally indented the ground with my knees. That's what happened in the dream. So that happened before this retreat had happened. And when we were there, there was a nun, a woman who used to be a nun, who is now pagan, and um, she was having a struggle with the reconciliation of what you're exactly talking about. And there was another man who was, um, who was off a ways, who was singing a song, and he was actually at, personally at war with the Catholic Church, but he was singing a song about God. And so I was talking to her, she's telling me about her personal struggle, and I'm like, you are still absolutely loved, you are still absolutely cherished, you are still absolutely adored, you know, even if you're doing this. But I wouldn't be here with you talking about this if you weren't still loved and cherished. And I said, see him over there? He's singing, personally, a song about God, a guy who's at war with the Catholic Church. He's being touched right now to sing that song to prove to you that you're not lost to him. And my, my husband and I ended up doing a little ritual to bless her. Even though I'm not ordained as in the Catholic Church or anything like that, I had my little emergency altar kit and set up everything. And then, so while we're having this little ritual to, to bless her and help her be at peace, um, I hear a voice in my head that says, get up. 
and stand like this and it kind of shows me like a soldier with my hands behind my back and you need to say these words and then move like this and I'm like look if I stand up like a soldier swing like a gate and there's nothing there I'm gonna look like a freaking idiot I don't wanna look stupid get up stand like this swing like a gate and say these words and I'm like you're not gonna quit until I do this and I could feel a sense of a smile so I was like okay fine <laughs> so I get up and I said he who loves you is here now and stands behind me and I swung like a gate and there was Yeshua and he walked like a ghost through the altar past me I could actually smell what he smelled like you know the scent of him and then he walked past me and he walked into her and uh, I guess the common term is slain in the spirit she laid out she just went out and my husband was behind her and caught her and laid her on the ground and her arms fell to her side and she was laying like a cross on the ground and my husband who is pagan and he goes well I'm not stupid I know the love of God when I see it and so I hugged him he held me and it just seemed that I needed to make the sign of the cross over her while she was having her experience whatever it was her eyes were closed she couldn't see me and as I moved my hand in the sign of the cross her body shivered in the directions as I moved my hand and I looked at my own hand like oh my god that, I, I've never seen that before and so if things like that didn't happen and miraculous things like that didn't happen then I could agree with you that God has left me that Yeshua has left me and that it, that it would even be possible for me to be separated from him I didn't actually say that I would just like to uh, clarify that I just said that the fullness of religious truth is to be had in the Catholic Church this is what the church teaches and so you would be depriving yourself by moving away from the sacraments. I didn't actually say that God would have left you or Jesus would stop loving you or anything like that. That's ridiculous. But we're told to test the spirits and there are such things as demons and fallen spirits. So how do you protect yourself from being deceived by Satan? Because he can disguise himself and he's very fond of disguising himself as an angel of light. And he's a lot smarter than you are and he doesn't sleep. So how do you protect yourself against the wily enemy I have had personal interaction with demonic presences and I've actually had to deal with them and I've actually had what people would traditionally think of as doing an exorcism or casting out uh, or banishment or protection or any of those things and in the beginning yeah things may be a little muddy but once you've established hey I see you then all pretenses drop do you invoke Jesus and Mary to control or to banish these demons Mary no Yeshua is always there but um, Malachi is always present when these things go on 
I call him Malachi, you call him Michael. Okay, but how do you know they're not counterfeits, like a counterfeit Yeshua, a counterfeit St. Michael, that are fooling you and leading you astray, away from the Catholic Church? That's what my fear is. Well, I understand that that's your fear, but the thing is, is that these good people have these horrible, horrific experiences in lives where their kids are being hurt, they've got scratches on their arms or bruises from being beaten up, things are flying around the house, and after I'm done, that's not happening to them anymore, and they get to go back to having a good life without having those things happen to them. Okay, so it's by your fruit that we know that the tree is good. Yeah, I mean, if, if after I left and all the bad guys came back, well then yeah, you could call me a fraud. Or you could call the divine a fraud, or you could call what I'm calling these angelic presences a fraud. But these people get to return back to their good lives afterwards. So I don't, by your fruits show, you know them, and it's very simple. Like, they get to have a normal, happy life after I'm done. So if that's the devil tricking me, well, then it's, it's a damn good trick. <laughs> well, I, I firmly believe that the devil is doing good work, and that's part of his punishment. He doesn't want to be helping, but I think he is helping inadvertently. And uh, even if, God forbid, you are being fooled and you are uh, sort of being manipulated uh, by dark spirits, even then I think that God will bring good out of it. I'm just, I just want you to have the maximum happiness that you can have for all eternity. So I want to make sure that you're not being fooled by false fruits. Yes, but here's, here's the thing. Uh, uh, of the two of us, I've been to the place that you have not yet been. I'm pretty sure I've been there. Most people have to have faith in God. I don't have faith, I have knowledge. Yeah. I'm the same. I don't, it's not a question of faith for me. God the Father is, is a scientific fact. I do have faith in Jesus Christ and the Trinity and the Catholic Church and these sorts of things. Those can't be proven by pure reason or natural reason alone. But uh, God the Father, yeah, that's not, there's no leap of faith required at all for me to believe in God the Father. So speaking of the Trinity, do you believe that God is a Trinity? That's one of the things I believe. Do you want to elaborate on that? Is there any is there any contradiction among the things that you believe, or do they all cohere amongst themselves sanely and rationally? There's a there's a really great cartoon that explains it perfectly for me in terms of my experiences of the in between place and also my experiences of the in between place after my second grade experience of the in between place. There's this picture of St. Peter in the clouds, and he's showing a new angel around heaven. And they say, so what's behind the brick wall? And they're like, oh, well, that's the Seventh-day Adventist, but they don't know the rest of us are here. You know, you can only perceive what, what you can perceive. That if you don't believe that there are any black people in heaven, you won't see them until your understanding grows larger. Um, there's nobody on planet 4639 that knows who Jesus is because Jesus lived here as a human. And on planet 4639, they're nothing but an insect race with hive minds, and so they have no concept of what we think of here on Earth. 
can have no personal experience of Jesus because Jesus is a man that lived on this planet and it's a very large universe. Yeah, the church teaches that we're all going to be on the same page in terms of understanding the truths about not only about God, but about humanity and history and the universe and, and everything else. So just to wrap up the episode, what would you say to anyone that might be out there listening now? What I would say is that a lot of times it's very difficult to believe in the concept of God. It's, it's hard to believe in, in something that it's difficult to have a direct experience of. And I, on my second near-death experience, had the option of leaving. I had the option to die or stay. And I chose to stay because when I was in the in-between place, I could feel how much the divine loved everyone. But I had one thing that the divine did not. I had one thing that God did not, and that was arms and legs and a life. And so I'm here so that human beings can know there is one person on this earth who gives a damn about you and your life and your existence. And that's me. For the time being that I'm alive, one person cares what is going to happen to you. And I'm very open about this uh, because I'm on social media. Anyone is welcome to reach out to me. So don't give up. You're loved. Even, even if I'm a stranger, I'm still saying that you're loved. Now, yes, absolutely, God loves you. Absolutely, Jesus loves you. And there is, there are places that love and care about you, no matter what dogma or religious decree says that if you're trans, that if you're gay, that if you're polyamorous, that it, you're whatever it is that, that isn't accepted, that I personally love and care about you and that you still have hope. And that you're welcome to reach out to me in any way that uh, any way that you want. If you like your worldview, if you think it's swell, if you've got some questions, ask me and I'll tell. All you've got to do is ask. All you've got to do is ask.